Good morning. This morning we are in Luke chapter 6. Now it happened that he, Jesus, was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath, on a Jewish Saturday Sabbath, and his disciples were picking the heads of grain and rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees, who were strict religious Jews, said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Uh, because you're not supposed to pick grain on the Sabbath. Now, <clears throat> this has come up before, and it's actually going to come up a lot in any of the Gospels, including uh, the Gospel of Luke. You might recall that the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, that <clears throat> essentially they were to do no work and to rest on the Sabbath day. Uh, the seventh day, it was a holy to the Lord since God rested from his work on that day. Now, that was a, a good practice and helped people to not forget God and spend time with him. However, the Jews of the Old Testament added laws upon laws and rules upon rules as far as what it meant to honor God on the Sabbath because God didn't, God specified it certainly, but he didn't make all the rules about what could be done or not done. So the Jews ended up deciding, well, let's let's make sure we know what's actually permitted or let's make up what's permitted and what's not permitted. And there ended up being hundreds of pages and literally everything you could think or imagine of what you could do and not do on a Sabbath. And essentially you were not supposed to do anything on a Sabbath. And I think God was displeased with all of the additional laws and rules that they put on the Sabbath because in Jesus's day, when he's walking the earth and doing his ministry, he's constantly being challenged about the Sabbath, and he's challenging them back that they have a wrong view of the Sabbath. And in fact, here, he's going to say the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In addition, we've seen this passage before, but in Colossians chapter 3, it says this in verse, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 16, uh, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to a food or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are all Old Testament law things, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And we see that the Christian church that originally started off going into the Jewish synagogues on Saturdays, Paul as an example, to help point people to Jesus Christ, they eventually got kicked out of the synagogue because they were leading so many Jews to Christianity. So then as a result, they started meeting on the first day of the week, and Christians began meeting on Sundays, the first day instead of the seventh day, the Sabbath day. And with Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath and Paul saying, no one judge you based on new moons, festivals, or Sabbaths, we see that in the New Covenant, we got a change to the meaning of the Sabbath. Now, it's still really important that we spend time with our Lord and we quiet ourselves before Him. But the Sabbath is an Old Testament law that if you look at all of what the New Testament has to say, it does not have to be honored in the same way that it was in the Old Testament. It would be interesting if God could come back and talk to us about you know, maybe how distracted we are or how we don't give him the time that we could give him. Um, but yet the collective evidence is what I've stated 
so far from a New Testament understanding. So the Pharisees are challenging Jesus, and Jesus is beginning to indicate and show some of the changes he's making to the Sabbath. So some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and he and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and gave it to his companions? companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So that story comes from 1 Samuel 21, and uh, more is talked about it in 1 Samuel 22 as well. Basically, David was on a journey, and a lot of times uh, running from his life from King Saul, and him and his companions were very hungry, and they came upon a priest and said, hey, we really need something to eat. Do you have anything to eat? And the priest said, well, the only thing I've got is the consecrated bread. And they would make new fresh bread to go into the holy place on a daily basis. And sometimes what the way it appears, if you read the story, is that they didn't eat all the bread. So there'd be some bread left over from the holy place when the fresh bread came in. And he said, I don't have any other bread, but I do have this bread. Now that bread was only to be for the priests. And uh, the priest decided, and later it says that he inquired of the Lord. It doesn't actually say that in verse in chapter 21, but 22 indicates that it appears that the priest actually sought the Lord on it and that he gave David the bread. Now this Jesus is saying that um, he took and ate the bread, how, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread. And that's interesting. It doesn't actually say in 1 Samuel 21 that David specifically took it, but maybe what Jesus means is that he had the priest on his behalf take the bread, and then it was only to be eaten by the priests, and David did eat that bread. Now, interestingly enough, when King Saul saw that uh, he was, that, sorry, my dog there, but when King Saul saw that this priest conspired with David, even though you know Saul was beginning to see David as an enemy at this point, uh, he actually had the priest and all of the priests that were serving killed for this. Um, now that's not saying that was something of, that God wanted is for them to be killed, because what Jesus is saying here is that it was okay. David was really in need. There was bread available. And he got the bread and he ate it. And, and Jesus is saying, just like that happened, it's okay that my uh, disciples pick grain on the Sabbath day. But um, yeah, it's really quite a story from the Old Testament there. So right away, we go into another Sabbath story. I mean, there are so many things. See, the Jews, the Pharisees in particular, were like trying to strictly observe. And in a way, they got away from the heart of God, and they were just focusing on the law of God, which God always wanted his people to follow from the heart. They they were looking at themselves pridefully, looking down on anyone else that didn't do what they did. And Jesus was frustrated with them, and, and he challenged their Sabbath beliefs. So on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So he was Saturday in a Jewish synagogue, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so they might find reason to excuse him, accuse him. Now, there's nothing in the Bible 
that says that you couldn't do something good or heal someone on the Sabbath, but they were becoming so such strict observers that you literally couldn't do anything, even something good on the Sabbath. But he, Jesus, verse 8, knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? Question. After looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and disgust together how they might what they might do to Jesus. It, I mean, Jesus is going out of his way to show them their improper view of the Sabbath. Um, so there's another story of it. But it was at this time then, he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And Luke records a lot of this time that Jesus spent with the Lord. And he spent the whole night. It doesn't appear that it was on a Sabbath because, again, at night, it would have been the next day. Assuming this was like consecutive events and daily events, you know, if if it was a Saturday Sabbath where Jesus was in the synagogue, then now he's that evening, which once it's evening, it would have been Sunday. But anyways, it was at this time that he went off to a mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. I guess I point that out because he's praying to God all night, not because it's a Sabbath, but because he wanted to. He wanted direction. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles, ones sent with authority, sent ones. Simon, who he also named Peter and Andrew his brother and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, he called his disciples and chose twelve. See, so there were other disciples, but from the people that were following him as disciples, he chose specifically and selected twelve of them. Jesus chose to spend much of his ministry, ministering to fewer, deeper. And I feel like sometimes the church and even myself, we've lost sight of that. And uh, it's something that I'm even contemplating is how I can invest into uh, some folks, even at a deeper level. And because Jesus made that a priority. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured, and all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. A miracle worker we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus. In turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And what we're going to start seeing here is some really good and healthy and challenging teachings. And I really think it comes from a view of heaven. It says, though Jesus can rise above the earth and he can see 
what really matters in the end and what really matters in heaven. And because he sees it so clearly, he places a greater value on what matters in heaven than what matters on earth. And if we could just rise up and capture that view, I think it would change the way we live. And I'm already challenged and convicted this morning as I take a look at Jesus's teaching, and it helps me to want to be more selfless and be more generous and help the people around us. So listen, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied in heaven. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Hallelujah. We've got something to look forward to, the laughter of heaven. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And, you know, you will be um, persecuted. People won't. If you stand up for Jesus, there's going to be people who don't like your teaching. I just got a call yesterday from someone because there's someone who attended our church and, and, uh, you know, they don't agree with some of my teaching regarding homosexuality. And, uh, you know, I get it. There's people that maybe don't, they don't understand what Romans one has to say. They don't, they don't know the whole Bible and they don't want to believe what the Bible has to say. They want to choose for themselves what they want to believe. And I'm not saying that in spite. I'm just saying that that's a reality of their of the day. And as a result, someone then who's teaching the truth, they want to they want to ostracize them or say, "No, I'm not not following them because I don't want to believe what they say. I don't think the Bible says that." Well, in reality, there's people who just don't know. Anyone who's told you that homosexuality is permitted in the Bible is lying to you. Uh, read Romans one. Anyways. Uh, you know, and one of the reasons that's talked about so much by me is because it's such a massive issue today, especially with our young people. Um, you know, the generation of people who are like under the age of 30 are, are growing up in a society where they believe that it's totally normal and, you know, that God created people that way. So therefore, it's, it must be permissible by God. And it's it's a, it's a lie and it's wrong, but it's pervasive in people's thinking. And sadly, it's leading people away from God and his his word. So, you know, when you stand for truth, you're going to be ostracized and insulted and scorned. And and But we have to be willing to do that. Otherwise, we completely lose what's true if we don't stand up for what's true. So uh, be willing to be accused of whatever they may accuse you of to speak the truth with love. I'm not trying to say anything harsh or mean, or but I am trying to honor the Lord. And we need to seek um, him first and to honor him. But anyways, be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. You know, the prophets were a lot of times persecuted, prisoned, even killed uh, for proclaiming what God was telling them. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. And I don't think it's that just that people are rich. It's just that sometimes when you're rich, um, it's easy to be selfish. And the view from heaven would be those who are rich should be generous towards others. Um, listen to what it says. Woe to you who are well fed now, 
for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. <clears throat> we should be careful to have all the blessings that we want on earth, leaning just, just, we focus so much so on how we can be blessed on earth that we're no longer focused on what matters in heaven. And, you know, in heaven, it matters that we help other people get fed, um, that we help others who are mourning and weeping here and, and comfort them. And uh, what matters in heaven is not that everyone speaks well of us on earth, but rather that we are pointing people to the God of heaven. And look at some other more amazing things that Jesus says about what matters in heaven. Again, picture him. He knows. Jesus knows what matters in heaven. And he's telling us. He's giving us that heavenly kingdom view. And he wants us to live for those priorities now. Listen to what he says next. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I mean, such heavenly things and so unlike most of us when we're operating in the flesh. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. You know, my... My dad has always been good about helping people in need. And, you know, sometimes you're told you're going to get paid back and you never do. Um, but it's still good to give. Um, I, you know, I'm known in my family for having money on me when we go into cities where there are poor and giving to people that are on the street. And I really think that we're supposed to be more like that, more giving towards others because we're more focused on heaven what matters from a heaven's view than on earth uh i need to do more and i mean like i um in any compliment i give my family or myself there's so many times when i'm still focused on self instead of others so verse 31 treat others the same way you want them to treat you what a great word if you love those who love you what credit is that to you for even sinners love those who love them we're supposed to be just radical towards how we treat others for God's glory. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Even sinners will be nice to someone who's nice to them. We're supposed to be good to those who aren't even nice to us. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. So, you know what? We sh if we give and we don't get paid back, it's not the end of the world. Picture it as something that you're giving for heaven's cause. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Wow. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Wow. What good, right, healthy, challenging teachings. 
I really think if we could picture what matters in heaven and live for that, this would become much easier instead of focusing on what matters to us here on earth. Do not judge and you will not be judged, and do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And sometimes I think that could be, you know, both in heaven and on earth, that how we're generous and how we've helped people. There can be a reward for that in heaven, but even a reward for that on earth, too. Uh, And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into the pit? A people is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And, you know, Jesus created us in his image and likeness, and he wants us to be more like him. And when we're fully trained, we'll be more like our teacher, Jesus. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, When you yourselves do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. I think, church, it's important to see when we look at that, any conviction or judgment or rebuke or challenge we give to another man or woman, we're supposed to do with great humility. I mean, it does say here that you're supposed to help others see the errors of their their ways. That doesn't mean you're judging, you're trying to help. And you're supposed to take a speck out of your brother's eye. But first, you got to realize that you have a speck in your own eye, or I have a speck in my own eye. And, And sometimes it's a different speck, meaning we can see the sin of others And maybe that's not a sin we participate in, but we have other sin that we do. So we can't think of ourselves as self-righteous when we're trying to come and help somebody else in their area of sin or let them know of an area where they're doing something wrong. We should be humble enough to realize we have done and do do wrong too. It just might be in a different area. And if we come with humility and great love, uh, it is good and right to be concerned for our fellow brothers and sisters and what's going on in their lives. But we have to do it humbly recognizing our own sin. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And may we seek to be more like our Savior and have his goodness flow out of not only our lips, but out of our lives. And, you know, it should be evident that we're believers. Uh, The fruit on our tree should very clearly show that we're believers. And, you know, if it is, we'd model some of these behaviors that were seen in Luke chapter 6. We'd be more generous and more caring about others and be less selfish and more selfless. That would be the tree that would be on of our fruit, the, you know, the fruit that's on our tree. And our, our heart would 
would speak words that, you know, could be, that are righteous, that are good and right and holy and helpful. Uh, and, and sometimes that means convicting. It can be helpful to be convicting, but it also means to be encouraging and loving and humble in our words. It should be all of the above. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And this is really important, church. I, you know, I talk about this a lot because the Bible talks a lot. You know, those of us who say all, you know, we're, we're saved by faith and not by works. Well, definitely not works of the law. And we, we can't be saved by doing good. Meaning if you don't have faith in Jesus, you can't get to heaven. You got to believe in what he did for you on the cross. You could do all the good things in the world. You can never get to heaven without faith. But people with faith are to do good. Our, there should be fruit on our tree. That, that's supposed to be what happens. And if there's no fruit and there's no good works coming from us, then there's a big question as to whether the Holy Spirit is even in us. So listen to what it says. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building his house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it was had been well built. But the one who heard and has not acted accordingly. So one who's heard the gospel, heard the Bible, but doesn't actually act in accordance with it, is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. And it's showing the futility of hearing and even knowing but not having your life begin to change as a result of what you know. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 2. So may we be a people that are building our lives on the foundation of Jesus, that are seeking to honor him in our behavior, in our words, in our works, because of what he's done for us, and all stemming from the foundation of faith, building upon the foundation of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. A Christian should be able to be readily known and seen by what comes forth from their life. And may we be that kind of Christian and praise God for the grace when we've failed, maybe when we've reverted to selfishness. And that's why we really need to be in the word all the time so that God can continue to mold us and make us to be more like the teacher when we're fully trained, we'll be more like him. Lord, may we continue to be sanctified and come to know you more. And as a result, God, embody the things that you're teaching us for what matters for heaven. May we live for what matters, Lord, in heaven, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.